We are live. Welcome back. Happy 2022, Seth. How are you doing? Happy New Year. I'm great. Good to see you in person. I know. It's glad we get to actually record this in person. When we were doing this last time, it was me up in Boston, you and down in DC. It's not bad. Yeah, this is awesome. I think when we first started, we were in my apartment in person. So we did our first couple in person exactly like this time last year. Come in full circle. We ordered some Bon Siam, sat down in your apartment. Now we're sitting down in DC in your rework. Then we're going to grab some Bon Siam after this. I'm very excited. Cool. All right. So what are we talking about today? I think it's going to be kind of the random show. We've had themes every single week. We've done health and wellness. We've done crypto, we've done NFTs. I think today is a little bit of 2021 year in rewind, 2022 preview, a couple of things that we've been digging deep on. I know you've been going deeper into the no code world. I've been going into wellness technology and we got some carve outs at the end. So I'm excited to dig into this. Sweet. Love it. Random show, Tim Ferriss, Kevin Rose style. Oh yeah. Who gets to be Tim Ferriss? Who gets to be Kevin Rose? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel like... Maybe we'll have a better idea after this episode. Well, that'll... Afterwards, we'll see. We'll see if anyone stands out <laughs> as, as a character. Cool. All right. So do you want to go first with some of the things that... Yeah, why don't we both... Okay, so we'll start... So we'll start with reviewing 2021. Let's do it. Some of the business, business rewind of 2021. Yeah. I, I think this might be a little bit more for you and me than maybe people listening, but... I, I, we wanted to keep these episodes pretty similar to how we would just chat in the apartment. So I think this is pretty similar to how we would chat. We would like sit and actually reflect on what we were doing in the past year, what we want to look forward to in the next year. And I actually don't know what you wrote down or what you talked about. So I'm, I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. And I'm excited to share what I have to say so you can hold me accountable to what I'm going to be doing in the next year. But as I thought about 2021, I have a couple of reflections. One is I, I spent a lot of time in self-discovery mode. There was especially, I, I told you about this class that I was taking at school, which was effectively like a group therapy class so it was <laughs> effectively group therapy so you, you were assigned to five other students you sit and have a topic every single week and you chat about it things from like traumas that you've experienced to the amount of money that you would think you would need to make in order to accomplish all of your goals in the future and i found it extremely helpful in a lot of ways like really truly worth the entire price of my two years business school tuition just for this one course and one of my big outcomes of it was I discovered that I really want to be a software engineer when I graduate, which seems like a really weird use of a business school degree. That's probably not what most people would want to go on and do, but it's what I truly love. And I, I remember even sitting with career services so many times last year, as I was thinking about internships being like, I want to get as close to coding as possible. What can I possibly do with that? Maybe I should go be a product manager. And, and no, I think the reality is I love coding. I should go be a coder. So I'm very excited about that and excited to dive deeper into it. Um, and I have a lot of reflections. Like we, one of the cooler things that we talked about was finding a purpose statement for your life, which I don't have to share if it's not interesting, but that was really a ton of fun and very reflective and I, I loved it. I think one thing I also realized about 2021 is that I spent a lot of time thinking about structuring my work and activities and extracurriculars in order to achieve some outcome, but not necessarily because of the like inputs themselves. And, and so like very simple example, my goal every year over the past couple of years has been to read one book for every age old that I am. So two years ago, I'd read 27 books, this past year I'd read 28. And I found myself in a lot of situations reading for the sake of checking off another book on the list mm -hmm. and not necessarily because I truly love the book. So I'd get like 200 pages into a book, kind of be met on it and then realize that I, I didn't really love it, but try to tough it out just so I could just check it off. So I want to be much more intentional about in 2022 actually doing things because I love them and enjoy them. So mm -hmm. instead of having my goal be read 29 books, have it be more of I want to read like 12 books that I love or just read books that I love in general without having a number on it, mm -hmm. uh, which I'm hoping will get me to a point where 
I'm not reading something in order to actually just add it to my list. I'm reading it because I truly enjoy it. And I think I've done that with a few things. Like my Like I Am 5 goal for the past year was I want to make $3,000 a month. That wasn't, like I could do that in a million different ways, but I, I chose to do that specifically because I wanted to make enough money to cover my expenses at school. I don't think that was a good enough reason to want to work on that. And there were a few things that I'd, I'd realized kind of fit in that theme. But yeah, it's a lot of self-discovery and, and reflection in 2021 and things that I want to do better in 2022. I'll, I'll kick it over to you. I don't know what your thoughts That's are. That's awesome. Yeah, no, a couple a couple branches on that that I thought were interesting. And, and one on, on the reading books. Uh, it's interesting because I agree that I think just reading to check off your list of I read 29 books doesn't like that's not necess- that doesn't necessarily make sense at the same time setting goals that are specific does make sense so like in general it's like you want to set goals that I'm going to do you know I'm going to read 10 books versus I'm just going to read because or mm-hmm. that just generally applies to all goals so it's I wonder how like what's the balance there of setting like a specific goal that you'll actually do but also reading books that you actually enjoy and I agree I think for me like the way I tend I don't keep track of trying to read any specific type of book and I think what resonated for me a lot was an early like an early one I think Naval's first podcast with Tim Ferriss when he said he'll just read a book and he'll skip through it or if he doesn't like it he'll just stop reading and like I agree with that I think that there's no reason to feel like you need to finish a book if you're not getting value out of it or you don't like it and I think like reading I think people can also get stuck with reading and get like not read as much but the reason is because the book they're reading they don't like or isn't interesting to them like anytime you read a book that is really interesting you can't put it down and Mm -hmm. I think just trying to find books like that that you can't put down and then you'll naturally read all the time yeah yeah I totally agree I think the outcome that I want is at the end of every year I'll usually sit down and think about what my few favorite books I read that year were Mm -hmm. and people like sometimes people will chat about it they'll be like hey do you have a book rack And the outcome that I want is I want to have like 10 to 12 books that are vying for those top three spots. Like I want to read so many good books in a year that I'm like, wow, that's actually a really tough call to be like, what are my top three favorites? Mm -hmm. And I think I've had like five or six over the past couple of years that I really, truly loved and were my favorite books of the year. Mm -hmm. I'd like to have more. And I think there are so many books that I read that like just definitionally like I read 21 books in uh, 2019 yeah I just I didn't love or that didn't fit into that like top five or six mm-hmm. so I would have much rather spent that time reading books that I truly did love rather than reading just for the sake of reading 21 additional books and of course I'm not going to love every single book and they're going to some will hit me at the right time some won't mm-hmm. but yeah I want to get better about just reading things that I love and doing exactly what you said which is like reading the even the parts of the books that I love without focusing on actually having to finish the book if I get the part that I loved out of it so yeah some goal that is both like objective but also is uh like an enjoyment of the reading and I think I needed a goal at first because I I was such a bad reader in high school that I actually never I don't think I read a single book that was assigned to me in my Mm -hmm. high school Mm -hmm. class and now a couple years ago I was like okay I'm gonna read 12 books 12 what's one book a month and then I smashed that and then all of a sudden now I'm I'm reading all the time but I'm not reading things I love so maybe I can relent more a little bit on Mm -hmm. the number itself but some structure I think would be nice I I don't know if you have reflection of 2021 instead of fixating on (laughs) yeah I mean yeah you you had some really good good reflections for me I think the so so going into 2021 I was I had uh, been working on no code MBA for I guess around six months or so going into 2021 um also working on on elevate which I'd been working on for for a long time and 
those were like kind of the two big business initiatives. And I think I'm going to spend most of the time talking about no code MBA because that's more of like the new business than personal business. But Elevate has been has been great as well. And I, but with with no code MBA, so I think going in, I had a lot of initiatives that I was trying to do. And I think I I think looking back, it would have been better to focus on less initiatives, but try and do those really well, as opposed to trying to do too many things. So that included like doing a podcast, like creating more content, trying to grow the email list, grow on Twitter, like doing all these things, like designing the website, do, like growing in, in general, like testing different marketing channels and like doing all of these things, I think were, were good. And it was good to test a lot of these things, but, and this will, I think, go into 2022 as well, of like, what are the things that I'm focusing mm-hmm. on that I think make the most sense to do. But I think the, like, what, what worked well was like, it did, like the business did grow, which is, which is awesome. And, and I feel really good about that. I feel good where it is. I think where areas where that didn't go as well was like having an active community. And I think doing that is really, really hard and maybe not even super necessary depending on what your goals are. But that's something that was hard doing consistent content, consistent emails. And I think that's part of that ties into having so many different initiatives. It makes it hard to really do something consistently throughout the entire year. So, so that is another reflection of, of 2021. I also did a bit of freelance work in 2021, mainly because I wanted to work with other people and and just like work on different teams and be exposed to different people, which is, I think that, which that goal was definitely achieved and I think is really helpful in a lot of ways. But I think the downside of this at the same time is it does take away time from working on your own business. I've tried to do things that were no code related, whether it's like building websites or doing no code automation for businesses. So it, it does tie in. So I can kind of feel like just in general with, with anything I do, I want it to be something that I can learn from, or even if it doesn't work, like even if it, if it works great on the business side, if it doesn't work, then at least I learned something and this, you know, for doing freelancing, like, Hey, this is great. At least I'm not just necessarily selling my time for money like I'm also learning and I can take those learnings back into uh no code MBA but and and I think that'll dovetail into 2022 goals as well like where I'm thinking about spending my time or 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 where I want to spend my time kind of going into 2022 but yeah that's just kind of a general reflection yeah I like that one and I'm curious it sounds like you'll go a lot more into the actual no code MBA and how you want to spend your, your next year you mentioned a little bit this tension of like, I wanted to work with other people and that was a benefit, which I think is a genuine benefit. And as someone who also started a solo company, it's it's a huge benefit and factor to be able to work with other people. Um, and I think there's also something I found personally when I was just running Box Jump Alone is uh, because I could call all the shots, I didn't really have to worry about optimizing. I would just like, you know, if that day I wanted to work on coding, I could do that. If I want to work on community that day, I could do that. If I wanted, and yeah. I don't know if there's any sense of like, any reflections of working as a solo founder and how that's influenced some of the decisions that you've made? And if you think that that's, that either did factor into a little bit of lack of focus on how you spent your time and overstretching yourself on a lot of different areas and then like wanting to then go work with other people because that it is super lonely to just work alone. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that 
be totally like all there are many benefits and there's also drawbacks of being a solo founder and i think that yeah i i think that those are all things that i think like you said like tie into some of the pros and cons of the last year and yeah i think i think some of the things like i'll go into it a little bit more but i think hiring is something that i want to focus on more in 2022 i think solves two problems right of a you're now working with other people more and then b you are able to accomplish a lot more by hiring people who are doing great work at things that need to be done so yeah yeah that makes total sense do you want to jump into your 2022 goals because it seems like it's pretty connected uh sure yeah so i i can go first and then and then you can go sure Um, actually why don't why don't you go just just to mix it up a little bit and go back and forth Sure. I, I have a few different categories of goals, and so we can either jump back and forth or we can pause and I can just keep going if yeah. it's interesting or not interesting. But one area that I want to work on a lot is financial. And for the past few years, I've spent a lot of time having, I've had a lot of anxiety over money. I just have not made a whole lot of it since 2018 when I first left and started Box Jump. And I would like to get rid of that anxiety because I feel like I have a very unhealthy relationship with money. And especially while I'm in school and I'm not really making a whole lot of it, I'd like to figure out how to create over the next six months before I graduate a very clear path toward how I'm going to pay for all my expenses in a way that's not purely just like buy the seat of my pants, selling investments here or taking a consulting job there just in order to like be able to pay my bills. I want to be more strategic about how I spend my time because I found myself spending a lot of nights, weekends, whatever it was, either working on a consulting project that I wasn't super passionate about in order to make a few thousand dollars in order to keep the lights on or um, just being stressed about money and going out to dinner, but being like, oh, am I really going to spend 75 bucks on dinner right now? Because it really sucks to see my savings deplete. So I'd like to have a healthier relationship with money overall, but also over the next few months, be more intentional about how I think I'm going to be able to make the money to uh, pay all my expenses at school. And then after school, once I'm graduated, I want to actually spend more time thinking about what salary I would need in order to accomplish everything that I, I would like to. And be really clear about like, what my number is because I, I honestly think that I've grown accustomed to not really needing that much money, which is great. I, I think it's awesome, but I would like to be more strategic about what I would like to do in the event that I like actually do get a job that pays me more money because I've never had a job that paid me more than $80,000 a year before. So yeah, so I'd like to be more intentional about that. I can pause there. I don't know if you have any thoughts or want to jump into yours. No, I mean, I, I think that's awesome. I'm just to dovetail on that, just to go off of that, the, on the money thing, I think that is really important to think about what if if I do make a certain amount of money like what do I need to make like what is my lifestyle like yeah. what would I even spend it on if I did have more money right and like what I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with also is they make they are making a lot of money but then they are just saving it all or they don't they don't like know what to spend it on or what makes them happy and that's something I'm thinking about as like just in general for this year too is like if I went off if I am gonna like I don't want to just save all my money like if there is if there are things that make me really happy I want to be able to do that like if it's going out to dinner like just going out to dinner and enjoying the dinner and not worrying about you know spending the money and thinking about what are those things that you do and I think if you spend a little bit of time at the beginning like up front thinking about those things, then you can go and enjoy it for the rest of the year, for the rest, whatever, as long as you're you're doing it. But if you don't, you could just be in this constant anxiety of, oh, like, am I really going to spend $100 on this thing that I want or that will make me happy or will make someone I love happy? But 
you're worried about the money aspect of it when a lot of times you might not even need to be worried about the money aspect of it. So that's also, that's, I was inspired to think more of that after listening to the Ramit Sethi podcast on, I think it was Tim Ferriss also, but. That was one of my um, car mounts actually. That was one of my favorite podcasts of the year. It was incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Cause no one, I don't think like people just think, oh, I'm going to make, I have to make money or I have to make a hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever, but no one thinks about what are you going to do with the money or what are, what's your relationship with money? Cause everyone like truly does grow up with different feelings about it. And are, there's a lot of, I think ways that people feel about money that they don't realize. Yeah. I know I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. I want to build on that in two ways. One on the podcast with Reese idea. I it's, it was one of the most inspiring episodes I listened to all year, precisely because of all these anxieties I've had about money. And my main takeaway is there was an exercise he talked about where you talk, where you think through your rich life. Like what is truly important to you? It's not about I'm going to fly private everywhere I go. It's more about what are those day-to-day expenses that will actually make a huge difference in your life. And when I actually tallied up what my were, and I I did this activity with Sammy, maybe it would cost me like a couple thousand dollars a year in incremental expenses to actually live my quote unquote rich life. And that doesn't take a raise. It doesn't take like a, a new job or a fancy promotion. That's really just a, a mindset shift based on the amount of money that you make today. And I I need to unlock that mindset shift because a lot of things that I wrote were like, if I see a paddleboard somewhere, I want to ride it. That, that's not crazy expensive. That's like maybe if I do that three times a year, that's 150 bucks. And so I agree with you. I think that it's a much healthier and better way to think about money. The other thing directly related to that, that Sammy and I've been having a a bunch of conversations about over the past couple of weeks is saving intentionally. So I think there's a strong desire to just save money, but I think it's probably a better way to look at it to save sort of save toward a certain goal. So for example, we have a few big expenses that we think are going to come up over the next few years. One, we want to get a puppy. Two, we want to go on vacations annually. And three, we want to buy a house at some point in the next few years. And those are specific tangible things that we can save toward. And we could probably put money away toward but rather than just like looking at money as a thing that we need to save in a vacuum and, oh, I need my pile of savings to increase. I think it's actually a much more fun and better way to look at it to be like, I need this specific amount in order to achieve this outcome. And here's this thing that this like tangible thing that I want to save toward. And then everything on top of that is kind of gravy. That's like, oh, I shouldn't feel badly about going to that $100 dinner to your point. It gave me a ton of, of like pleasure. And, and I, it wasn't mm. stopping me from actually doing any of the other things I actually want to spend my money on. So we've been trying to think more about that too. And what are those things that we actually want to save toward? How do we do it? How much do we actually need to accomplish those things? And then not feel that badly about the other things that we actually do spend our money on. Yeah, I, I love that. I think that that's like, I think the framework, which aligns exactly with what you're saying. I think I texted you this framework yeah, idea that I had yeah, like, yeah. like a month ago of like, okay, what is your, think about how much money do you need? Like, what is your rent? What are you spending on daily groceries and restaurants like just restaurants that you're already spending like your day-to-day life or whatever like what are those things like how much do you want to save every month and then like if there's any difference between that like you don't have to feel bad about spending and if there's extra that's great you can put it in your savings but I agree I think I really really like what you're saying about having a specific goal of what you're saving towards as well because if you don't have that then I think that it truly never is enough savings because mm. you're just like, I just need to keep saving and saving. Yeah. And if you have a goal for how much you are trying to save, then you're that, that kind of 
solves that problem. Yeah. So totally. I, I like that a lot. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. What about you? All right. I'll, we'll go back and forth. Goals for 2022. Cool. All right. So which one do I want to go on first? Let me do a tactical goal here, which is hiring. So I would like to hire people uh, to help with business in, in different ways and trying to figure out what are those. So I've tried to put thought into what are the areas that hiring someone would be really helpful and could make an impact and also the areas where I'm not as strong or areas where it just takes me longer to do or something that I'm just don't get as much joy out of doing and working with someone who does get a lot of joy out of doing it or, and is really good at it. So I think one, one reason that it's hard to hire, at least for me is I think a giving up control can be hard. I think there's also a sense of like responsibility when you hire someone that you uh, are going to like there is like training involved and you want to make sure that they're having a good experience and that they're learning and that it's a good experience for everyone so there is some amount of like responsibility that you take on that if you don't have that like if you just want to not do anything for a week on that area like you can just do that mm-hmm. but I think at the same time that can hold you accountable and can help you step into making making progress progress and whatever you're doing but so so I think the main thing is getting I think this this ties into okay what for for me with no code MBA coming into the next year so I'll go into I'll, some of the I'll touch on maybe some other goals I'm thinking about is I think yeah. the the content for no code MBA the the course content is in a pretty good spot I have a lot of courses I think the content is good I think the site looks good I don't think a lack of content is necessarily what is preventing people from signing up. I think more is always good. And that is something that I want to do. But I think now is more of the time to focus more on marketing Mm -hmm. and focus more on content, outward content, free content to bring people to bring people into the funnel. And doing that alone is is pretty difficult. And also not something that does bring me a lot of joy, like writing a weekly email every week to Mm -hmm. the email list, like, that would be great if that is a job that I could hire someone to help with. But I think, so like the the content to get more specific, yeah, like w- weekly emails I think would be really great. Someone who can help turn all of the, like there's so much so much no-code MBA tutorial content that's that exists, but having that turned into clips that could be shared on YouTube or shared on uh, TikTok or shared on Twitter, like turning that into content for different sources, potentially helping like turn these like this podcast clip into different content sources that we can share blog posts, SEO, like all of these things that I think would be potentially really helpful. So hiring and I think hiring specifically to help with content is something that I want to experiment with. That makes total sense. Uh, you mentioned what you don't want to do, which is more of the like marketing growth side. What do you want to do? In a yeah. perfect day, like, how would you I, spend your time? I do like the marketing growth side. I just don't... It just takes a lot of time to sit down and, like, make the specific, like, emails or write the specific blog posts. So, like, the strategy of it is really great, and doing it to an extent is good. It's just I want to do more of it. So, like, extending my output, essentially. So, th- yeah, that's definitely something I want to do. Making more content for the site, I think, is definitely going to be important. So yeah, things. I mean, it's 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 all things that I want to do and focus on marketing. But 
being able to extend my time by hiring someone. That makes sense. So the actual execution of the marketing task. How do you feel about managing someone? Because that is a trade-off of your time too. Yeah, I think that's also part of it too, where it's you have to think about, okay, I could just do this on my own or managing someone. So I, I think in general, the key is finding someone who is pretty good already as much as you can. Obviously, the interview process is... So like there is a lot of time up front in like finding someone and hiring someone. But... I like managing people. I think that it's fun overall. Yeah. So you're looking at this more as like you want to find a really sharp young person who wants to come in, execute tasks, learn about marketing and growth, and take on a bunch of ownership of your projects. Maybe they could like go off to do something else at some point, but you're looking for someone like that as opposed to like no. a virtual assistant who's going to cut off clips for you. It could be a virtual assistant. I think it's like these are jobs to be done. So like it could be a virtual assistant for some of these things. But if it's like someone that's going to like write emails and be like a growth marketer. I'd rather hire someone who is experienced and really good than Mm. someone young who doesn't have experience. Like I'm not really, I don't really want to spend all my time training someone how to do it. I'd rather have someone come in who's better than me. Yeah. Cool. No, that makes total sense. Yeah. Yeah. Where do you think that no code MBA if we're sitting here and having this conversation January 4th, 2023, where would you ideally get it to? I think that, I think that the ceiling is pretty high. I think, Part of it, like, also where I want to invest more. Like, if I invest more in hiring people to help it grow, invest more. The more I invest into it, I think the more that it can grow and come out of it. But I don't... Overall, like, it doesn't... I'm not necessarily trying to, like, get it as big as it possibly can. I'd like to build it intentionally so it's a business that I enjoy working on and is something that, like... I don't want to, for example, like, I think one of the reasons I haven't done cohort-based courses yet, it's still something I'm thinking about, but I don't want to create a job for myself that I don't enjoy. So if I do that, I want to make sure that I'm going to enjoy it. So whereas I think if I was only trying to maximize revenue, then I would have made a bigger push for that already because I think it's a really good revenue opportunity. So, but yeah, I think in general, like, if I can get to... So there's a thousand paid members right now. So if I can get to three thousand paid members by the next year, I think that would be amazing. So like another two thousand, I think that would be like a really great spot. So I can just see continual growth and continued people using the platform. Like to me, what's just exciting is like getting I still have it set up so I get an email notification every time someone clicks lesson complete. So it's just awesome that like to get that feedback that oh someone's actually using it, like they're using it getting having like reviews come in that they actually like enjoy the product so that part is exciting and just getting as more of that if i can is is where i would like to see it next year i like you calling your shot we're gonna 3x by next year and i I, we've talked about this a lot so i'm curious like there are a million different ways you can get there and we've you mentioned you like the strategizing part of it you could go b2b and sign up a bunch of people that way you could just get get the word out more through tiktok social media, YouTube, and just grow organically in that way. How, how do you think you're going to end up hitting that number by the end of 2022? Yeah, uh, sure. And, and I think the number could be a lot bigger, honestly. I think, I think so, too. I yeah. think a 5 or 10x if things go really well. Could be like Miss Excel, but Mr. No Code. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think so. So a, a couple different areas. I think one, Twitter, which is a goal for on the personal side, but it's really business. That personal is... the personal Twitter is business. So I think growing my Twitter account right now, I'm at like 16 or 1700 followers, but 
by the end of the year. Okay, that I'll set a, a big goal there. So let's go to 100,000 Twitter followers I love in it. January 4th. Let's go. So doing that just off the bat is going to automatically lead to a ton of sales with no good MBA. So it's just directly related. That will also lead to a lot of listeners on this podcast. So in general, I think that's all linked and really, really helpful. So that's definitely an area that I want to invest in. I think it's definitely possible. At least 50,000, I think is definitely possible. But I mean, 100 would be amazing. And also growing the the no-code MBA Twitter. I actually think it's easier to grow personal Twitter than to grow business Twitter because now, who wants to follow a business account? Just yeah, less exciting. For sure. So I think that'll be one one good angle. I think selling B2B will be another interesting angle to experiment with. So selling, now that I have courses for Zapier, Airtable, and Google, Google Sheets, I think those are three really big no-code areas for businesses where their employees can get trained. So trainings for, for businesses in that area. Yeah. Like Udemy, I... Uh, so I think it's like a hundred million dollars a year to business like B two B subscriptions is what I read in their S one. So it was if wild. I can just get a, a crazy small amount. little slice of that, and I think, I, I yeah. So like that's just an experiment, and it's kind of a new business line that I don't know if it'll work for sure, but I think it's promising, and I think that could lead to a lot of a lot of new users. I think content, social media, and figuring out how to scale this and like in a way that's manageable for myself, and like that is involves that involves hiring like i like i mentioned mm-hmm. before so i think that's an area that i think will be interesting so yeah at this point like just figuring out what are the, what are the different channels and how can i scale it in ways that are like efficient and like manageable yeah i want to focus on twitter for another minute because i had a twitter goal as well and we've been yeah. chatting about twitter recently when you're at a hundred thousand followers do you think that it's going to be for like this entrepreneurship influencer type like brand what, what do you think your brand is going to be as someone who has 100,000 followers, what do you think is going to ultimately get you to that point? Is it no-code content? Is it entrepreneurship content? Is it... Um, I think no-code plus entrepreneurship content. Yeah. Yeah, so it's going to be... And I can imagine there being a bunch of ways that you are like, here's how I would get this specific business off the ground through no-code tools. And like, step-by-step, step, like, here are the tools that I would use. Here's how I would connect them. Here's how I would do it. And I think there are a lot of different platforms, like the ones that you mentioned, Webflow, Zapier that you could utilize to like kind of drift even off of their influence and following and create maybe even content with them or for them that they could post out for you. And I'm sure a ton of people could utilize that. Like Twitter itself, that could be like a, almost like a content source for you where instead of just having videos on no code MBA, there could be a way that you like use that to put out content. So I can see that being huge. I could absolutely see you going there. Yeah. And that's, that's an interesting point where maybe I should like, say, forget about blog posts, forget about SEO. Like, let me just go all in on Twitter, right? And let's get to 100,000 followers, right? Because if I do that, then the sales are no-code MBA are going to follow. Mm. So, yeah, maybe that is, like, the right path to get really focused. But, I yeah, I agree. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. What's your personal, what are your personal Twitter, Twitter? Yeah, let's go to some oh, Twitter. I had a, okay, I had a number also. I put 10,000 as my Twitter number, but I, I wanted to have a more thoughtful goal because ten. it sounded like annoying. You definitely get to 10,000. I think so too, but it sounded annoying to me for my goal to be like, I want this number of followers, especially when my I just said that my reflection for 2021 is I focused too much on like, what are the output numbers? Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to be a leading voice in wellness technology Twitter. 
I, I, it's actually a really cool space I've been spending a lot of time in recently, and I think that as a byproduct of getting there, I probably will have 10,000 followers, and I think that's definitely attainable for this year. But it, it's been a lot of fun. I've been experimenting with it over the past few weeks. I, w- I won't say, like, I'm huge, but, like, it's been fun just growing and meeting more people in that space. And so that's a personal goal for me is to get to that point where I actually am, like, an influential voice in wellness technology because I think it would allow me to do a few things. I do want to start a company in that space in the future, so I think that as a byproduct of actually spending the time thinking about what companies exist, um, content around wellness technology, I'll be able to explore different ideas and come up with a really good idea that I'll be able to explore on my own. I'll be able to meet people in that space. I've already had a few conversations with people. I had one today for an hour with this really awesome guy who um, I've just met through Twitter and this NFT community that I'm in for for wellness. And so that's been really cool. So yeah, that, that's my goal by the end of the year is I, I guess if I'm putting a number on it, I'd say I'd like to have like 10,000 followers. And I think for a similar reason to you, if I ever go out to start something again in the future, it's just a built-in audience for that. Of yeah. People are really captivated by what I'm actually working on. Cool. I love that. And I, I, I like that too of, I think we should do that with, with every goal we, we make of, okay, this is our goal, but the goal isn't to have a hundred thousand followers. The goal is to like sell no code MBA courses or build yourself up as make connections, meet different people. Like that's the real goal that you want to do. And getting a hundred thousand followers is just how you actually reach the goal. Getting a hundred thousand followers or 10,000 followers, whatever it is, like, isn't the actual goal. Yeah. It is cool too, because I, I feel like it's, even over the past couple of weeks is I've tried to invest more in it. I realized that a lot of the conversations even you and I have together are things that are valuable to other people. Um, so for example, we were chatting the other day and I was like, oh, I think it'd be really interesting if you could sell your personal credit card data. And I, I just like tweeted it out and it got a ton of engagement and I got some followers from it, which is cool. And I, I love that. But it's even just this like meta thought of the conversations that we have are valuable to other people. And I would like to not just keep that to ourselves. I think it would be actually valuable and people would benefit from hearing them. So I, I want to get better about actually putting my thoughts out there and actually sharing them with the world. Not all of them are going to be genius, of course, but like yeah. I think it would actually be a lot of fun uh, and really valuable if we were. Yeah, I totally agree, which is what we're trying to do here with the podcast too. Yeah, it's just for sure. sharing. It's, it's fun for us to have these conversations, but also fun to share them and potentially connect with other people or if it helps anyone in any way it's cool yeah totally do you have any other goals for 2022 yeah all right so you rapid ones, fire through them? we'll rapid fire through them so we don't spend two up two and a half hours on <laughs> our, okay so a couple other okay let me let me get your thoughts on a couple different ideas i had for no code mba marketing so this might yeah of course longer we can also cut things if we want but okay so so three three different things one live courses curious what you think mm-hmm. about that whether that's worth doing or worth experimenting with or what's the easiest like way to experiment with that two My, is another oh, sorry, go ahead. i'll just i'll oh, just go through yeah. the, another one is like maybe just doing like a free weekly like zoom chat like webinar type thing about no code mba or no code like projects that like maybe that's even like something that whenever someone signs up for my email list they can also like joint like put on their calendar like the next you know whatever uh video um zoom call and then i think doing that weekly would potentially a like bring more people into the 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 funnel but probably convert a lot more people from Mm -hmm. email lead to actually buying no code mba so i think there's like a sales link there and then the third one is doing like a monthly contest so every month 
maybe pick a different no-code tool, maybe work with them or, or maybe not and do, you know, a web flow contest and you can get a panel of judges every month. And, uh, like instead of spending money on Facebook ads, just spend that money on a MacBook, right? And the winner gets a MacBook or some really cool prize every month. And I think there's a few benefits for this. Like one, I think it would get also lead to a lot more Twitter followers and people would be really interested in it, lead to a lot more engagement. I think the, like, and I think for all these things, like they are kind of high, they're high impact, but also they're not passive. Like there's pretty active work that's going to have to go into all these to do them well. So those are three different marketing ideas that I had. Yeah. I like all of them and they're not mutually exclusive anyway. Is the, I'll ask you a question first and I have some comments on it, but is the hesitancy, the activity like that you were just mentioning, which is that it will require a ton of work on your end to actually keep them up and do it. Is that part of that? I think all of them there's it's work that's going to go into it. And I think there's also hesitancy of like, Oh, what if no one's interested or then it's just Mm -hmm. like you put all this time into something that doesn't end up working, you know, it might even, I think it's worth at least, I think there are ways to mitigate at least the latter part, which is you could try it for a month or set a a deadline every shelf for yourself of like, I'm going to try this for a month, see how it goes. And if it continues to work, great. If not, I don't have to commit to it beyond that. My personal experience is that live courses especially were really helpful in driving people to the top of the funnel and actually getting them to go from free to paid. And my personal experience with it was I launched a course about a year ago, a web scraping course, which I thought was really good, but I got two people to sign up for and no one else. So then I thought, okay, I probably need a free course for people to be able to take so they get comfortable with my teaching style and then they take the web scraping course. And then people signed up for that. I got probably 100 signups, but not that many people that would actually finish the course if they actually took it. So then I thought, okay, well, if I actually do a live course, a live version of the free course, then definitionally, if somebody shows up, they will have completed the course because they'll have had to have sat through all of the content in order to be on that live call. So I think it's a really good way to get people to not only sign up and get through the top of the funnel and give me their email, Mm. but also to try your content. I think that if they do, they're much more likely to sign up, which is what I found personally. Mm. And it's also really nice because it's an event. Like it's not just sign up and you can take this whenever it's sign up for this specific thing on this specific date. And then you have a deadline of people to sign up. It kind of prompts them to actually get their, their like act up together to actually sign up for it. Mm. So for me personally, like I went on a Reddit spree and just posted a bunch of subreddits. I got 600 signups for my live course and I got like 60 of those people to actually show up to the event. But I I think it is actually a very good way to get people to not only um, get their act together to be motivated Mm. to actually sign up and give you their email, but then to also consume some of your content, which Mm. I would imagine that getting people to give you their email, like let's say, let's just take your free trial funnel. I would imagine that the people who actually take a course are the people who are the most likely to convert from free to paid. Mm -hmm. And so for you, I think it's actually a really effective way to get people from free to paid by getting them to actually consume some of your content in the first place. I like that. And there could be an interesting angle of, okay, it's like, let's say every Wednesday at noon, I have a course, mm-hmm. or like a one hour video where maybe I go over a specific topic or answer questions, et cetera. And it could be for both non-members so they can come in and mm-hmm. learn about it. And then it could yeah. be for members as well to come in and actually ask questions. So it could be for everyone. But yeah. then it probably engages members more, but also like helps people who are new to it. And I think it's also interesting to have this space where if you are like signing up for just the, you know, self-guided videos to also know, oh, every week I can actually go and ask questions to someone. So it's like office mm. hours that are happening yeah. every, every week. 
and it's only an hour a week coming in to try it out for two months. So I can do eight of them and see how totally. it goes. Yeah. I like it. You might experiment with it and decide, you know what? It was a ton of work. It wasn't worth it to me. I'd rather spend my time elsewhere. You might find that it's actually really helpful. I, I think it will, in my opinion, definitely lead to a sales lift for you. And at the end of the day, if you start to realize that it's really helpful, you could also hire someone to do the webinar. And so it doesn't have to be you if it keeps working every week. You can always have it be someone else. Or you could try to structure it in a way where you're like kind of building content at the same time. So if you wanted to shoot a video on uh, this specific Zapier integration with some new tool, then you can have that week's session be about that, record it, and then post it. So you can try to kill two birds with one stone. I think it's definitely worth it. That's a good point. It could be content to share it also. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. Great point. Yeah, good feedback. Thank you. Okay, rapid fire. Uh, A side project is this website called The Helium Source that I'm working on with our friend Adam, which is basically an informational source about helium, which is a cryptocurrency. And it's really just for fun, like just to make like a one-stop place for people to like learn about it. What is it? all the resources around it, like kind of as a central hub. And uh, if it ends up being popular, that's awesome. But if not, it'll just be a fun project to work on and fun to work on with Adam. So I think that would be cool to like just work on throughout the year when we have time. And Sidebar, we need to get Adam on the podcast. He'd be a blast. Well, all right, if the helium source takes the, off, then... We're making it take off so we can get Adam. <laughs> yeah. Okay, what else do you have, Rapid Fire? Sure, I'll rapid fire through a few. One that I've been working on already is I want to improve my sleep. 2021, bad year for Matt for sleep. I did not sleep very well last year. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of nights where I'd wake up at four in the morning, not be able to fall back asleep. I got a whoop over the summer, realized that my sleep recovery scores were really low. So over the past, I would say even two months especially, I've been really focusing on my sleep. I bought an eight sleep mattress. I've been experimenting with supplements that have been helping me. And I'm now even like starting to measure the data of how helpful are each of these things. So is uh, theanine, one of the supplements I'm taking, which is just like a natural thing. It's in green tea. Yeah. Is the, that, it's in all tea, right? I think I'm, uh, oh, L-theanine, I, I think. Right? It, might, it yeah. probably is. You're yeah. the tea expert, so you know more than I do. I know it's at the very least in green tea, but I'm sure you're right that it's in all teas. Are, how are these factors actually influencing my sleep? My sleep's actually been a lot better over the past couple months. I will give a shout out to eight sleep because I was very skeptical that it was actually going to be that drastic of an improvement over my sleep. It's Really, like if you look at my data, been incredibly helpful. On nights when I use my eight sleep, so much better sleep. It, it's unbelievable. And I didn't even wake up feeling that way, but it, it's like undeniable that in my data, the sleep has been much better on my eight sleep. And I usually tend to get skeptical of these things. They have a ton of Twitter hype because I'm just like, oh, how great could it possibly be? No, it's like legitimately. So that's been one. On the, so what else, before we, what else have you tried other than eight sleep? Theanine. I don't know if I've shown you a picture yet of my breathe right strips, but <laughs> I have these mouth strips, which the whole benefit of them is that they close your mouth, keep your mouth closed, so you're promoted to breathe, breathe through your nose, which theoretically leads to better sleep. You're not snoring, you're not like disrupting your sleep by snoring and then waking up in the middle of the night. And so that's been somewhat better. I've also been using these breathe right strips that go over your nose and widen your nasal passages to also help with that. Magnesium is another supplement I've been taking. It's just like a natural supplement that helps you kick off the, the process of falling asleep and, and just calming your body down. Theanine, also a very similar thing. Theoretically helps you get a little bit more deep sleep, REM sleep. Eight sleep has been super helpful. Those are the five main ones. I, I would say the sixth one is cutting out alcohol is like, honestly, it's been, I guess, pretty widely documented at this point, but on nights when I drink versus don't drink, my sleep is just dramatically improved. So that's been one thing that I've been trying to focus on as well, is trying to drink less, especially during the week, to try and get better sleep during the week. 
So cool. yeah, those have all yeah. been super helpful. Awesome. I'll rapid fire through my last few. So one is I want to get hired as a software developer at a wellness technology company this year. It's something that has been a huge like discovery for me to realize that I really love software engineering and want to do that profession. So a goal of mine is to get hired this year. I want to 100% believe in all of my investments. So we were talking about this right before the show that I, I think I got a little bit into the hype cycle of some of the things I invested in. Like I'm 100% invested in cryptocurrency, which I think you're either there or close to that. And there are definitely things I truly believe in. Like Helium, I agree with you. I think that's going to blow up. But there are also things I invested in just because they were hot on Twitter. And I wanted to be part of the movement. And I want to make sure starting off this year that I actually fully believe in everything I'm invested in. And so I want to go back to the drawing board, basically look at my portfolio from scratch, think about how I would allocate it, and if I don't believe in what I am currently invested in, I want to scrap it. Yeah. And I want to put it into something that I do truly believe in. So that's one. And then the last one is I've gotten really into chess over the past year and even got a chess coach, which I think I talked about probably at one of the last podcasts that we did. Mm-hmm. And I, so I want to be in 1800 in ranking in chess, which is, it's like solid, maybe not like master level, but pretty good and competitive. Uh, so I'd like to get there. I'm probably at like a 1500 right now. Uh, which I think mostly just entails I'm going to be playing a lot of chess over the coming year and getting a lot of coaching, which I think will be a lot of fun. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Yeah, now you can all be account- accountable to all those. Cool, I will. Yeah, if you're, not, if you're not a chess master. <laughs> but <laughs> Something went wrong. Something went horribly wrong. Queen's Gambit, but part two. All right, you want to you wanna dive into some actual business ideas, things you've been thinking about, find interesting, think are going to come true over the next year? You want to go to it? Sure. Yeah. Let's do a few of these. I don't have as many as our other episodes because we did more prep on our goals. But one idea I had, which is related to online courses, is I think what would be interesting, I don't think it exists, is like a Yelp for online courses or like Mm. more specifically cohort-based courses because they're becoming more and more popular. And yeah, just getting like real reviews of of them, like having a a place where you can go and see what people thought of it. I think, I mean, Career Karma kind of does this. If I don't know if you've been on their site, but Career Karma is basically a, it's like a directory of continuing education, which mainly is like coding boot camps, but it could be anything. And... I mean, they're, they're a massive business. They just raised a ton of money, I think, or they, mm. they raised a Series A recently. But, I mean, it's a pretty big business of placing students into these boot camps. So, but they don't do, like, the currently, like, the more, you know, smaller online courses or anything like that. Like, they're doing more of, like, the, you know, general assembly type thing. So I think there's yeah. an opportunity for smaller, like, cohort-based course, online course directories, and then you would monetize in the same way, like affiliates to go into the courses because, yeah, so I think that would be, I think that's an interesting, like, business idea that I had. Yeah, so currently there's, I I just don't know the space as well. So there's, like, Maven, which is a cohort course creation platform. They don't offer reviews or anything. There's nothing that you can actually see. And I know they're only one platform out of many, but... I don't think that they do. I mean, I think they are going to have probably that stuff built in at some point. But also, like you said, that's just one of many different ways that that you can... Like one, there's a lot of platforms now that make it easy to run your own cohort-based course. Mm. For example, there's this one called Disco, which I would potentially Mm. use for NoCode MBA if I do one, which essentially, yeah, takes care of everything you need to, like, run a cohort-based course. So... There's a lot of those types of companies, and then there's going to be a lot of these courses that are built on top of them, but 
I think having that directory and reviews would be a really interesting way to, to, for, I think it'd be a really interesting business. And I think the cohort course creators would want their students to write reviews on the platform because they're highly incentivized to like get spread the word about their course. Like marketing those courses is also the hardest part of having one of those courses. So, yeah. yeah. I also think it's, there are two potentially interesting uh, offshoots of this. One is for cohort based courses where the people who are taking the course are individuals and not at all associated with each other. So this is like probably most of the Maven courses where everyone signs up individually and for those people, and then the other group of people is enterprise clients where a company would hire this specific instructor to teach a cohort-based course for their employees. And I think there are actually two different mm. sets of reviews that would be interesting. One for the individual is like, what, how good was the course? What am I going to get out of it? How much am I going to learn from this? And for the employees and the enterprise side, just based on my experience teaching for General Assembly for their enterprise clients... It's a lot more of like, what are my employees going to be able to get out of this and what skills are they going to have and how is this going to impact my bottom line and my business as opposed to like, what is the learning and development for this individual person? So actually, the second one could be really interesting too, where if you go to the enterprise route, you could basically like go from client to client and be like, oh, how like was this helpful? What did they actually get out of it? You can get reviews from all their employees, follow up with them to see how helpful it was for their business so that you could then go to the next business and say, okay, here's exactly written down like what this business got out of it. Whereas it's a slightly different use case for individuals. Yeah, yeah. I like it. I think it could work. I'm probably not going to build that. Probably so. not going to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are there any other tools that are not sticking with the cohort courses? Because I don't really know much about this world. Are there any other tools that you think would be useful beyond reviews? For discovery? I guess so, yeah. I mean, I think the directory and the discovery would be the biggest piece. Right. Like, how do you find the courses in the first place? How do you market to people who might be interested in them? Totally. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Or, like, if... Let's say you are someone that, like, does have an audience or, 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 don't, or whatever. Like, individuals who have cohort-based courses... If, if you have a stream of people who are interested in these cohort-based courses and you have one, first of all, they're very profitable. People mm-hmm. pay a lot of money to be in them, which yeah. means that you can pay a lot of money totally. at, to advertise your course. So yeah. I think a really easy way to, to do this, if I were doing a side project, this is actually, this, I might do this. <laughs> really you went more. from I'm not going to do this to ah, I might do this. It's a pretty good idea. Like, it, you, this is like the... the it's I hate like, the spin. It's like the email... What is the spin? I might do the spin. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> like, it's like an email. You could start with just an email list. And if you could build up an email list, obviously you have to figure out how to market this email list. And now I probably won't do it again because now it's going to be hard. But yeah, like, like build up an email list of people who want to get deals on cohort-based courses... It's kind of like AppSumo. That's how AppSumo started. They got mm-hmm. people who are interested in saving money on deals on you know techno on like web apps basically. So you do it for cohort based courses, and then you reach out to a cohort based course and be like, hey, I have five thousand email subscribers who want to sign up for cohort based cohort based business courses, and why don't you offer a deal and we'll split the whatever like that. So I think that would be a interesting like way to start the business also i have two more ideas i like that i have two more ideas one which i have a better idea of and the other one which is half-baked and we'll we'll see how it sounds in real time the first idea is exactly what you were talking about for yourself which is 
I can imagine that for cohort-based instructors, it'd be very valuable for them to have cut-ups of their videos, of like greatest hits of their videos to be able to distribute either in ads or through Twitter so they can then share that and actually promote their courses. That's one. And I think they're actually taking their content. If you if they sent you like, here are recordings of all my videos and you actually cut out and edited up some videos or like clips of their videos and made it really easy for them to share, that could be one service. And that would be great for like all of my no-code MBA. That's who I, I want to hire for that. Like that would be amazing. Yeah, yeah. it'd be sick. Yeah. And another idea which I'm is half-baked and I'm trying to think through in real time is exactly for the problem which you're describing, or maybe not a problem, but it is expensive to actually take these courses. So I, I'm trying to figure out if there's a way to actually make it more financially viable for individual people to sign up. And one way that I think you could do that is, let's say that you and I both have cohort-based courses. I could pay to advertise my course on your course. So I could make get you money to make up for the fact that some people individually might be paying you less on this advertisement model. And on the back end, like let's say after they complete your course or complete certain lessons, they could see videos of my course that I promote to them or little clips of my course that I provide to them that would then advertise my course. But how is it cheaper for, for people? Basically? Because they potentially, like you could offset some of the cost of them actually taking your course by making the course cheaper for individuals, but making up the revenue on the back end by allowing other people to advertise on your course. Mm-hmm. Like just basically- it's a very half-baked idea. I'm not sure if that would well, actually be a thing. Kind of like an affiliate program for, yeah. for these courses, basically. Like how can you create some network where you can advertise other courses right. to people who already- I mean, I, I think that is interesting. Like like for, like who's the- Who's the most likely person to buy an online course? Probably someone who's already bought an online course. Yeah, exactly. So, especially if ours are related courses or there's some overlap. And, and if someone's already bought an online course from one person, maybe they'd be okay sharing that list and having them buy yeah. someone else's. On the other hand, they might say, I would rather just sell them my next course. But yeah, I think, I mean, there, there could be something there. I think the idea of like opting in to cross sell, like, is is definitely like interesting yeah there was a so my inspiration for that idea was a company i saw over the summer that was effectively allowing d to c brands or like e-commerce brands to advertise on other brands purchase pages after a customer made a purchase so for example i would shop at Allbirds, i'd buy a pair of Allbirds, get to the checkout page yeah. pay for it and then as soon as i paid for it it would show me an ad for a lark water bottle and be like hey here's like a great water bottle you should go buy this and if the customer buys it, then all birds would get a cut because they're kind of like driving that customer. And so you're effectively like uh, allowing brands to use the fact that they're really good at converting customers into paying customers in order to sell a different product. Mm. And to your point, you can get it to be somewhat related. You can use data to be like, oh, hey, like this person bought this brand. They probably would like this other one. But that was my inspiration for it was could you use, could you basically like offset the acquisition cost of a customer and use that as a way to make money for another brand? Yeah, I like where you're going. It's interesting. My brain is going to, like, if I were going to do that with no-code MBA, like, is there some related business course, maybe not another no-code one, but some other one that you could reach out to them and try and set up some deal where, like, right after someone buys, like, their checkout email is like, oh, like, do you also want, like, are you interested in no-code? Like, use this coupon code and get 20% off, like, no-code MBA. And anyone who uses that, they get, like, a kickback. So it's just, like free 
extra money for other brands, basically. Yeah. Which could be an interesting, even just as a mark, that's more of like a growth hack, but yeah. Yeah. And even related to what you were saying earlier, which is that Facebook ads are super expensive. You were mentioning that you had this idea that, Hey, you know, instead of spending 1500 bucks on a Facebook, on Facebook ads for the month, like I can just do like a giveaway instead and see if that works. I think that there probably is a market for creating new channels for companies to be able to market their courses or whatever they're trying to sell that isn't just Facebook ads. And I think that could be a potentially viable way to do it. I don't know if there's actually something there, but yeah, cool. Okay. What do you have? I've gone down, I I mentioned this before, but I've gone deep down the wellness technology rabbit hole. uh, And I'm very interested in exploring the intersection of new technologies like VR, Web3 with a bunch of things I'm passionate about, about wellness. So mental health, fitness. And so I'll, I'll give you some categories and you can tell me which one you want to jump into. So I have ideas for VR, Web3, and I'll, I'll actually start with those two. You can pick which one you want to go into and then I'll chat about them. Web3. Okay, so Web3. A few things that I, I've been thinking about here. One that I actually worked on as a product. So since we stopped recording, I was working on this product where friends could effectively compete in fitness challenges for money. It's like fantasy football for fitness. The idea was ultimately going to be that there would be some NFT for a specific group of friends where uh, they could challenge each other and transfer money back and forth. It never ultimately took off. Maybe I just didn't execute it very well. But I think there's a new iteration of it that is really interesting called Genopets. Have you seen this yet? I've never seen it. Okay, cool. So Genopets is effectively like a step challenge on steroids. This company has created these digital spirit animals for each individual owner that as you take steps in the real world, it allows you to power up that pet in this digital world. Mm -hmm. And at first I was honestly on the fence for a few reasons. I was skeptical that the Discord was so big. Like, they have 170,000 people in the Discord. And you would, on the one hand, think, wow, this company's done a really good job of marketing, which they have. But it's honestly, like, an unusable and a really useless Discord because there's so many people in it that it's constantly just people being like, when's the price going up? When's the price going up? When is this launching? And it's just not helpful at all. So I thought that that was a turnoff. I was a little bummed that the only activity that drives utility in the game is steps because I, there's so many parts of fitness and wellness there's you know you could have like a million different wearables connect into this you could have a whoop or a mm-hmm. ring eight sleep whatever and they're purely focusing on steps to start with mm-hmm. which um maybe they'll expand but i was like eh, maybe they should use a little bit more than that at first i was also kind of unclear on how the economics of the game would work so you spend right now the floor on these nfts like 15 Sol- solana coins which is like i don't know maybe it's like $2,500 to $3,000 right now. And it wasn't really clear to me what the economics were going to be such that I can actually recoup that investment. So like, even if the NFT went to zero, I can never resell it again. Is there a viable path toward me being able to earn that money back? And it's billing itself as a move to earn game. You're going to move, you're going to earn money as a result, kind of like Axie Infinity. And then like, finally, I was just kind of curious and skeptical of whether I wanted to actually spend the time and investment to play the game. And so I was not sold at first, and now I actually, over the past couple of days, I'm coming around on it. So there was a video that they, the team just released with Justin Kahn. So he's starting a new NFT marketplace for games specifically, Web3 mm-hmm. games. And the team is really bright, really, really sharp. They've been in Web3 for a while, really smart, and I think they have a really good roadmap for how the game is going to go. So even though, like my points around, is it only going to be steps forever? I'm now coming around to probably not going to just be steps forever, but I think that they even have a lot of room to run just on steps. The design is incredible. I can show you right after this, but obviously won't translate into a podcast. It is legitimately incredibly cool if you want to pull it up, and they've done a great job with design. What's it called again? Geno Pets. G-E-N-O Pets. 
And I, and I think cool. one thing it solves is, and we were talking about this before too, I'm a little turned off by all the discourse around Web3 at the moment because I feel like it's a lot of people just being like, Web3 is the future, but not actually any utility behind what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the first few projects that I've seen where there is actually utility behind the application itself. It's trying to get people to move. Uh, I think that there is probably a large market for getting people to actually move their bodies and take steps. And I think that they are going to be able to do a really good job of gamifying the experience. One way in particular that I think they've already outlined that they're going to do a good job of gamifying that experience and getting people to show up every day. Sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Is, so basically there's like a, every day you need to go back into the app in order to log your steps. You don't log it manually. It'll automatically account for it for you. But in order to actually get your steps to count, you need to go in and actually like engage with the app, which I think is a smart way to get people to return every day. Mm-hmm. And so I think they are actually doing a very good job and they're clearly a very good design and product team. And it's getting me to the point where I'm interested enough that I'm actually thinking I'm going to take the plunge and buy one right after this just to follow along and see how it goes. Interesting. So it's like the real world utility is that you are getting people to be healthy. Like, and exactly. that's utility because people are willing to spend money on their health, right? Totally. Like, so... Yeah. If it's able, like, yeah. How does the, how would the token accrue value? Like, how does the real world utility accrue to the token? That's exactly my question. So that was part of my skepticism of the product itself is I've, they've promoted this idea that, oh, you're going to earn money through the game. I, I think the reality is they probably don't have a clear answer on exactly how it's going to work. They um, are still in like alpha mode right now. The game hasn't launched. It's going to launch mm-hmm. in two weeks. And so I think there just isn't any information online about how exactly it's going to work, but they do have a token that theoretically you will earn and theoretically will have a real monetary value. Right. Yeah. But that was part of my skepticism as I was like asking every single person that I met, how can I translate this into some answer of how I'm going to recoup my investment? And no one can give me a straight answer, even to people who individually invested in not only like an NFT, but in Gino Pets, the company. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with that. That's interesting. Yeah, but I generally, like, this is really related to what I was working on with Fitballs. It's this idea of how do you actually motivate people to exercise and how do you gamify the experience? And I think there probably is a market for that. And mm-hmm. I think that they have, they're at least today the best company that I've seen that is uh, monetizing or, or, like, driving that experience. So I actually think they're probably going to do a good job with it. And I'm curious to follow along and, and see their progress. And the difference, so it's kind of like Axie Infinity, but related to real world actions basically yeah Yeah. exactly which makes sense to me because i mean i I don't actually know that much about axie infinity and i imagine there is some big market cap value of just like people play video games and spend money on video games and it's just a video game but there's no real world utility to it right like you're just entertaining people like the value is entertainment and there is value to that but it's not as interesting to me as things that are happening in the, like connecting web three to things in the real world that are providing value beyond just entertainment yeah i totally agree now i'll share a couple of ideas of how i would actually improve geno pets because i think that yeah. that could be interesting as well and so i think it'd be really cool if the geno pet were not just like a, a dragon but it were instead like a human avatar and it would actually reflect what you did in the real world beyond steps yeah we've talked about this idea before but i like let's that, say that you like too. bench yeah. pressed in the real world and your arms on your on your like avatar would get bigger well if you didn't cool sleep then people would like be proud of their avatars and and like i love like actually i think web3 makes this idea that i think the last time you we talked about this idea it wasn't web3 related it was just like no it's on the blockchain like you can't have this unless you actually like did these health things is very cool yeah 
I agree. And, and like, yeah, you can even go in the other direction. You can say, hey, if you like didn't sleep last night, then it'll reflect in your avatar. And I think it'd be a really cool digital representation of like this thing that typically takes a long time to manifest on your body because there's usually not immediate gratification for working out. You usually have to work out mm. consistently day after day. And then that's when you see results. So I think it actually would be cool to be like, oh yeah, your arms are getting a little bigger automatically. It's like that pump when you, right, right when you go to the gym. Yeah. You know what would be cool too is have you ever, like, you know, those like frames that like, they're like little, like, what if it was like a picture frame that was an NFT picture frame that you could like put in your house that was your avatar, like a 3D version of your avatar, and then it just changed automatically. So you would always be able to like see yeah. what it looked like. I'll actually, I'll push back. Do you think this needs to be a Web3 application? The personal avatar of yourself? I think that, I think the value of having it be a Web3 application is that it's like proof of, it's like proof of workout, right? So it, it just like provides proof that your, what you did actually happened basically. So it provides more, more like value of saying like, this is my avatar and it would create a community of people who have their avatars. I mean, I, it could probably work without a web, without web three though. Like it doesn't, it definitely wouldn't have to be, I don't think. I think that if you wanted to have money transfer as a result of actions that were taking place with it, mm-hmm. and I think it probably makes sense to have it on the blockchain this is what i was thinking about with my Mm. with fitball when i was working on it was does this need to be does this not need to be and i think the reality that i came to was cryptocurrency first of all just programmable money so it makes it a lot easier to actually like program into it and i think that it is a way to verify that to your point like proof of workout people are actually doing the things that they said that they did and you can integrate with the wearables to actually take their data and use that as proof that hey this person actually did what they said they did yeah and so so i agree with that and where where i think actually the here's where so i I think that all makes sense i think the provability is cool i think it's actually the composability which is where making it an nft and like a web3 company is what's actually the most interesting is if you have this avatar but it's composable right so then you can use that avatar in all sorts of other apps that other other developers can build on top of it and then everyone in that app knows oh that is a legit like that is your avatar you're legitimately like worked out etc like if you're with your friends so i think it's the composability to me that makes it more interesting even than like the money aspect i'm still not sure i buy that let me plug in my computer and then chat about it but i mean the company could just create an open api and let anyone build on top of it that way also yeah that's the thing i don't know like i'm not confident that this absolutely needs to be a web3 i know maybe 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 no one wants it like if people want it i think have like for the first question is like, is it something people want? I guess, and then on top of that, yeah, exactly. Is it, now is it something that people want and they want to build on top of it or whatever? Totally, like, yeah. yeah. I, I hundred percent. And how that. does money fit into it? Yeah. Yeah, so, exactly. So I think that at the very least, making it a human avatar would be an improvement. I'm curious why they went with an animal like that. There clearly was an intentional choice there, but I, I think it'd be cool if it were a human. I. Go ahead. I was going to... No, go for it. I was just going to say, like, other... Just trying to think through other, like, reasons why you might want it to be Web3. And I think this is also where, mm. to me, like, I'm sure, like, there is a hype cycle with this stuff. And on Twitter, it's it's pretty hyped right now, for sure. But the... What's the benefit of making it Web3? It's kind of just a different business model, right? Like, it's just another business model that you can build your company around. I think by, like, okay, let's say it's you know, web to centralized, you know, traditionally you would create this product, you would try and like get people to use it, like build product market fit. And I think that 
there's actually a lot of valuable things in that process. Whereas with Web3, you know, you get people to pay to get their first avatar. So they're invested, right? Which also raises money for the company, which then that money can be used to pay out and airdrop people and get people, you know, more invested and build this community like with money, right? So I think it's it's kind of more it's not like it needs to be web 3 but it could help like it, it this model seems to be like a spark that helps these ideas get off the ground in some way i'm still a little skeptical but i'm going to riff with you for a minute just because i think this is interesting i tweeted a couple of days ago about this idea of there being a way to monetize your own health data and i think that if you think about this not just as an avatar but as like a Here's like your personal pass of the integration of all your different health data. It's connected to every single wearable that you own. It can aggregate and summarize all of your information. Then you can choose as the owner of that avatar where that data gets distributed to. If there's a company that wants to run a sleep study and this avatar is already connected to your whoop or your eight sleep bed or whatever device actually captures your sleep data, you can then choose to send that data through your avatar. It could be like your almost like your personal pass into all your data. It's like an electronic health record in that way. And so I think there are ways that you could ultimately monetize this if you wanted it to be Web3. I'm still skeptical if it absolutely needs to be, but uh, that is one potential application of it if it were a Web3 product. I think that, and that's, a, I think a very interesting application of it also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then you can make it, you can facilitate uh, sharing that data with like whatever doctor or whatever, whoever you wanted to send that data to ultimately. Because right now, I think it is actually really hard to get your data transferred from doctor to doctor. Yeah. And now, if you own the data instead of some electronic health record opening your data, then you could facilitate that process. Totally. What was that company? This is different, I, I think, but the they were kind of like plaid for health data. Terra. What are they? How does that work? Yeah. Who's so the customer there? Uh, it's similar. It's I've actually been chatting with our CEO. He's a cool guy. He It's other companies that want to build wellness products. So let's say like, if I wanted to build out Fitball further, I was personally writing all the API connections into Whoop's backend to actually pull people's data. Terra would just allow me as a company to be able to basically mm. like connect to each person's data. I, I think where you may be going with it and what I'm not sure of because I haven't actually used their product is whether each person has like a health pass and then you kind of connect to that pass or if it's like they just make it easier to connect to the APIs for these different wearable devices. I'm not sure what the answer yeah. is, but that would be interesting for them to be able to have like, hey, Seth, here's a, a pass for you individually for all of your data. And then we just facilitate the connection of companies that want to connect to your pass as opposed to like companies that want to then connect to an API and then get your data. Yeah, that's that's interesting. It's yeah. a really smart, I mean, it's like Zapier kind of for yeah. for help data in a way, I mean, no, different. I yeah, and that's interesting. It was one of the ideas I was exploring was literally plaid for, I even like designed my product idea. to look like plaid. It's crazy. They, they just did it first. It's a good yeah. idea for, it's, it's a very good idea. I bet that company is going to be successful. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I was talking to another person who tried to build the same company and he ultimately said that it was really hard to find customers and it wasn't clear that the customers were super big mm. for a product like that. So I'm curious if it actually does take off, but they seem to be pretty well positioned and they ha- they have a lot of momentum right now. So mm. that's a really I'm good point. That's a good point. Yeah. It's like with Zapier, it's just business tools. Every business wants it. Yeah. And they're genius because they just make, they add composability to every right. business tool. Yeah. 
which is genius. Totally. Yeah. Uh, do you want to go back and forth? Or else I can share another one that's related to Web3. You go, you go first. I was just going to go with, I think, just in general. I don't, I don't really have, I don't know exactly where I'm going to go with this, but just a trend, I think, in general, is that more, more and more people are going to be living more of like a digital nomad life. And there's, I think there's a lot of business opportunities around that. I think the stat mm. that really stuck out to me was Brian Chesky said in a tweet in the past few months that I think in 2021, there was a really significant, I don't remember the number, but it was a very significant number of their rentals were one month plus rentals, like, which was, had never happened in their business before. And it was just Wasn't like Wasn't crazy set, like more of their revenue came from monthly rentals it, than nightly rentals? It was something pretty it crazy. crazy. Yeah, it, it was, was like a really a like, number. like staggering number that made me, it was like the kind of number that makes you stop and think like, wait a second, like that's a real sign, I think, of, of the way things are going. So yeah, I think that that's like a trend if you're interested in starting a, a business, like thinking about, okay, so there, there's this wave that's happening. And, and I think this is just in general with different businesses where if you can start a business and hop on a wave, you're just, it's, you're making it a hundred times easier for yourself. Like literally a hundred times easier, easier than pushing a boulder off a hill. So you, if you're going to do pick one idea, you may as well pick an idea that's riding a wave. So, so yeah, like how, what, what are those people need? Like there's, there's a lot of those things pe- those people might need. So maybe it's, you know, delivery or a, a mailbox, where are they getting their mail insurance? Like what are their doctors? Like how do they find a doctor? How do they find mm. services that they need? Just a few different like brainstorming right now. But I think that's an interesting, it's an interesting trend. I think that's going to continue growing. I love that. And we were talking about this right before the episode, so it's very timely, but this was also one of my ideas was I think that as wellness becomes a bigger focus for people, it will be really smart. And and this was like something that Brian Chesky even tweeted about today. He was like, hey, what should we do in 2022? And someone, uh, the founder of 8sleep was like, hey, you should like add 8sleep beds. And I think that as people actually stay in these uh, locations for more than a month, it'll be even more important for it to have wellness features. So 8sleep, you had mentioned saunas, uh, tonal, Peloton, like all these different devices that will allow people to live healthy lives in these locations would be a really cool, even expansion opportunity for Airbnb or for brands like trying to sell or uh, rent locations at Airbnb. But I really like yours too. Yeah, no, I, I love what you're saying. And, and like another one that came to mind is like, is it, is it a quiet apartment? Is it a dark apartment? Like yeah. these things that aren't really that important if you're just on vacation for a few days, but if you're living there for an extended period of time, you want to make sure that it's livable in a way that you're going to enjoy. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's interesting because there are opportunities, like you are saying, for the individual people who are the digital nomads. I think there are also, what I'm saying is, or what I, at least through my idea was sharing was, there are opportunities to sell services to, or, and to help the people who are actually renting yeah. out monthly rentals, try and really lean into that and mm. sell them even more uh, and make them more valuable. And so I think there are Ooh. opportunities on both ends. I like both of That's actually really interesting. Yeah, like even like so service that you're reaching out to Airbnb owners and saying, Hey, like this is a trend. More and more people are renting monthly and here are ways that you can make your apartment more appealing for people to rent monthly. And it's better for, it's much better for an Airbnb host to rent to 12 people a year versus 12, 
100 people a year yeah so much better yeah for sure like even very simple things like if i were to go to a new location and let's say that i had uh, very specific things that i enjoy whenever i stay somewhere like i i love spindrift i want to be able to drink spindrift and have it ready for me the second i get in the door and it'd be cool to have a service where like the individual renters could just be like hey what are your favorite things i'll make sure it's stock for you for the month yeah and that could be a service whether you want to try to sell that to the airbnbs or have that yeah, sell it totally. to the digital nomads and say, oh, where are you Where are you going next month? We're going to have your package of, you know, spindrift, snacks, all these things that yeah. you want on a daily basis that are hard to do otherwise. Yeah, the, the interesting one, I'm, I'm really thinking about your doctor comment, specifically because I've had this conversation with my therapist recently who I see online and he's in Denver. I'm currently in Massachusetts and licensing is really difficult because most doctors are not licensed all across the U.S. and there is individual state licensing. And as I think even not only like people travel more and spend more of their years in different places and are digital nomads, I think that it will also be increasingly likely that your doctor will be online and not someone that you actually go to an office to see. Yeah. And I I don't know if there's an opportunity to help figure out that licensing issue or like if there's either if there's a doctor that you really like that you want to keep seeing could you continue seeing them regardless of which state you're in, even if they're not licensed in that state? Is there something you could do to help fix that? Or on the flip side, totally to your point, like maybe it's just, hey, I'll connect you with a new doctor who is licensed in that state. And that's more of the service, which I think is really smart as well. Yeah, for sure. Both of those things I think are, are interesting. And I, w- I would imagine some of the licensing, like maybe I I think that the government is going to remove those restrictions over time because they're not going to make sense in like a digital world as much as they did before mm, totally agree totally, totally agree i like that one that's good you should keep brainstorming that that could be even like the vocal point of an episode of like as the world gets more nomadic what can business opportunities be yeah that's like that. totally a whole there that we could go in a lot of directions there yeah cool all right cool I'm going to go into VR because that's another place that I, I honestly have not spent a lot of time, but have been thinking about a lot because I think that it is going to keep growing. Crazy stat. There were more Oculus Quests that were sold last year than Xboxes, which is wild. Yeah. Uh, it's going to keep growing. You have one. You have a Quest 2. And I'm, I'm curious, have you used it recently or no? No, I think like a lot of people, I used it for two weeks and was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever <laughs> experienced. Yeah. I'm bullish. I think it. that yeah. a lot of people have probably been like that, but I am pretty bullish. I think that fitness will be a, a one of the killer use cases on VR as it starts to ramp up. It was like present in Mark Zuckerberg's um, announcement about Meta. There's a company, Supernatural, that was acquired by Facebook or their parent. Did, yeah. Uh, what do you think of it? It's cool. I mean, so so here's the problem with fitness right now. The headset's just too heavy to like yeah. actually be comfortable doing fitness, in my opinion. Yeah. yeah. I think that will change. And I have a couple ideas of places where there actually could be cool fitness applications with VR. Which I'll, I'll share three and then I'll run the you. One is, I think that meditation could be a really good use case for it, where it's not fitness specifically, but I think that you could have, instead of, I guess I'll take a step back. Meditation is something I've struggled with personally because I find it really hard to sit still and close my mind and make my mind just blank. And so I've been on and off with meditation. I think it would be more appealing to me if I could, instead of closing my eyes and trying to imagine darkness look out at a really beautiful landscape that's generated for me through VR. So I think yeah. that's, that's one thing that VR could be really cool for, where you could come up with scenes that you could never even imagine in the real world or even yeah. place yourself somewhere really cool in the real world. So that's one. And another one is maybe it's a little too heavy at the moment, so maybe not the best use case for it. 
running on a treadmill is just a horrible experience. I personally hate it. I've never had a good time running on a treadmill. I think it could be really cool if you could run through the Swiss Alps or just run through different landscapes. Or you can even have games where you're being like chased by zombies or something and you have to like run fast enough to escape them. Or you can race against friends. Like you can have a digital version of yourself that's like your pace that's taken from Strava. You can look at your yeah. pace from the past couple of weeks and then have yourself race against that person. And that could be a really cool way to have it where even though you're running on a treadmill and maybe it's more of an AR thing because you're, you need some way to actually be able to see the ground in front of you, you actually gamify the experience and make it more enjoyable to be on. Yeah, I, I was just going to add to that. I think that will be even, I think that w- that could be really, really cool and, and pro- it's going to happen. I think a bike would be potentially even better mm, because yeah. it's safe. Like it's kind of unsafe to be, have <laughs> a VR headset on a treadmill. <laughs> but a bike, I think... <laughs> Which, which could be bullish for Peloton long-term. They're very well positioned to, like, if there was a really comfortable VR headset, it's genuinely not comfortable enough yet, I don't think. But if it were light and comfortable, which will happen in five to ten years, to be able to, like, be in a video game or be biking, like, I think that's that's pretty cool. Uh, sorry, I'll let you continue, yeah. No, I liked it a lot, and I think that it actually aligns pretty well with Peloton because they're coming out with a game. And I, I Oh, think, really? Yeah, so there's, like, a game that you can play while you're on the bike. I don't know if it's actually out yet because I don't actually nice. own one. That's I can ask my dad, and we'll, we'll get a reading on that. But they are leading into this slightly and trying to give it by the experience of being on a Peloton bike. So I think that could be really cool if you're racing, you know, like, you could change the landscape. You could race through the Alps. Or you could do the Tour de France courses. Or you could be, like, racing against your friends literally... Alongside and you. there is there's something I don't know what it's called. It's not through Peloton, but there's there's a video game that's exists that yeah. I think connects to bikes, and it's like a massive online game where people are biking like around France and stuff. It's just yeah. on your TV, and that exists. And I think people I like people do love that. There's also yeah I agree, and there's even a row machine that does something very similar. Where the whole premise of it is it's a game where you're rowing against other people. So I, I think there's room for mm. at home fitness being improved and augmented by VR. And I, and I think also, like, on a, maybe the solution isn't necessarily a VR headset. Like, maybe people don't want to wear that when they're exercising, but maybe it's just, instead of a Peloton screen that's the size it is now, mm. what if it's, like, five times the size and curved, right? Oh, so it was sick. just super immersive, right? Yeah. And it didn't have to be VR, but it was just a really immersive, a more, maybe not five times as big, but just a very more yeah. immersive screen that's can could and that would be a very cool peloton bike that people would actually buy i think if it were genuinely like a much more immersive cool experience with all their same content all right it's an idea for peloton right there yeah this is really just building my bull case they're they're gonna figure out all this stuff yeah they're a great product company they're gonna figure it out yeah uh my last one which Which would also by the way like a better tv like that would be a reason for people to upgrade their peloton true yeah Yeah. they improve the hardware because right now it's just like an off the bike off the shelf bike and it's their tv which is nice it's the nicest tv that people have put on a bike but it's the same tv so to your point if they actually improved it yeah people might upgrade you might spend a thousand dollars trade in their bike get a new one i could totally see it one more which is related which is also augmenting the at-home workout experience is i over the past few years i've been i belong to a gym in dc with that i love and since I got to school, I've paid the owner of the gym to basically just send me the workouts every week that mm-hmm. they do at the gym, and I do it by myself. And it's, it's like, such a sad experience. I love the community at the gym. That's my favorite part about it. And the workouts are great, too, but I would love to be able to do them alongside other people. And so I think that VR could help bridge the gap between 
hey, you're just like literally doing these workouts on your own to, oh, you could actually like do this alongside other people that are also doing the same thing. And I think that could be really cool too. Just like a ghost gym. It's like a gym without the fixed costs of having a gym. I like that. I like that. That is interesting to me also. In general, I, I think a lot of these things with VR, to get it to the point where people actually want to use it, I think it'll, it just has to get more comfortable and, mm. and lighter. I think, I, I, I'm not, I, my head kind of says to be bullish on VR and like, it seems like it's very possible people are just going to end up spending 10 hours a day in VR instead of 10 hours a day on their computer, which we do already. Mm. And my heart says that's not a future that I want to see with everyone literally having VR glasses in this I think it's a terrible future and we are, I mean, but at the same time, like I spend my whole day working in front of a computer and I don't, is that that different? I don't, I don't know. I mean, there are similarities there, but there are differences if you think about it also. So I think, I think I, I don't love the idea of a future where we're all plugged into VR for 10 hours a day. And I also don't know that most people are going to want that experience. Having used VR, I think it's very cool. But there's some, like, feeling in me that it's better to, like, we are meant to be in the real world as humans. And yeah. we shouldn't, it's not right to be spending your whole life in VR. People are, I think, what I'm most confident in is there are going to be, there already is, I'm sure, people who are just really into video games and want that experience. And it might be that same group in the same percentage of humanity like there's people who spend 10 hours a day playing video games right now right and maybe it'll be that same group who just wants to take it that next level of immersiveness up but it's not like the whole world is playing video games just because video games are really realistic and good right now mm -hmm. they're just they're not and, and maybe it'll be the same thing I, I don't know yeah my ideal relationship with vr is that i think it would be an option but not a replacement for example, like FaceTime with my dad is great. I think it'd be cool if I could, despite the fact that we're hundreds of miles apart, have the feeling of being on the couch with him and having a yeah. conversation. So there are ways that I think that if I can't actually be physically with someone, it is nice to have the option to actually be as close as possible. And I think that there's only so much you get from a 2D screen. And I think that'll be a real use case of just, it would be great if we could just hang out with our friends on a totally. Tuesday evening in the same room and yeah. people that's gonna happen actually i, I do think that will that, yeah. that's gonna be a, a real use case i think that the two of us pretty soon could be in different cities with our vr headsets on video well, chatting each other and playing ping pong if like, you get is, a quest we can start playing ping pong <laughs> honestly that is reasonable. which was the best app on the quest yeah it honestly is an amazing app it's really fun <laughs> uh so yeah i can totally see that i think it's a pot potential option if you can't do the real thing for me i totally agree with you i'd love to live in a world where the real thing is the best experience possible and there's no replacement for it that you could actually have that people would want to do more than f being physically with someone. It's not a bad replacement if it gets to a point where the technology is good enough and it actually feels realistic enough where we are sitting in the same room with each other. That I think is really cool. The other thing that I think is, that, like, uh, is a comment that stuck with me recently that makes a lot of sense is that I think in order for VR to be a better option than the real world, then it has to be something that allows you to do things that you could never do in the real world. So things like the example that they gave was like gravity should right. not be a thing yeah. in what you're doing. And I think that that makes a lot of sense. Like there should be new opportunities that are opened up as a result of using VR. They're not necessarily replacements for what we do in the real world, 
but are really like enhancements and things that you can only do in a virtual world that I think would be a really cool use for it. I agree. I think that would be cool. That is cool also. And I, I think, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day, I'm, I'm, I'm still quite skeptical that VR is going to be this thing that everyone is living in. And I think even an example of that is when COVID started, people started working from home. They say, mm-hmm. this is great. I can just work from wherever. I don't need to be around coworkers. And I think a lot of people have changed, not everyone, but I think a lot of people have said, yeah. oh, wait, I actually really need human interaction because people forget that we are humans and have evolved <laughs> to like be around other yeah. people and need that in our lives. Yeah, totally. No, I agree with that. So maybe not a totally VR future, but it, it's, it'll it's be nice a part, it'll be a part of it'll it be for sure. It, yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's like living. It it's hard to see a future where it's not a part of it, especially as the technology gets more comfortable and better. Which are the two things that are going to happen at the same time? Yeah, and my basis for this comment was basically like it seems to be something that Meta is investing heavily in, and VR seems to be taking off in a way that I was surprised by. So I was curious how it could actually look if it were to take off. But I agree with you. It's maybe not the ultimate endpoint of humanity that I would love to get to where we're all just sitting on our headsets all day. On our Facebook headsets. Yeah. It's like the cast of WALL-E sitting there going around this spaceship all fat And Facebook kind of needs to do it too because they don't... Yeah. They, I think they see the writing on the wall that it's a very risky business to have all their eggs in the social media basket. Yeah, for sure. I agree. But, yeah. I'll kick it back over. No, that's all the business ideas I have for now. Do you want to go over any investment theses for 2022, or should we save that for next time? We'll save that for next time. Okay. Let's do it. We're already getting pretty late here. Yeah. <laughs> do you have any others that you want to go over real quick, or no? Really quickly, and I promise this will actually be quick. So we both were looking at our credit card transactions over from 2021, just curious yeah. about what we spent our money on and our time on. And it stood out to me that my main transactions, the main companies that I bought from were... Sweetgreen, Lululemon, my gym, Humble Beast, Whole Foods, my Levels Patch, Aura Ring, mostly like wellness related products. And it's not surprising to me that I'm spending a lot of money on wellness, but it reminded me of this company that I believe is launching soon called Ness, where they're creating a wellness focused credit card. And it makes sense to me that if for people who spend a lot of money on wellness, there are going to be perks for actually spending your money there and choosing to use this credit card. I was a little skeptical at first, just because I think it's in my mind, like, oh, am I actually going to choose to forego the perks of this other credit card that already gives me pretty good benefits that I already use to pay for these things in order to use this Nest credit card? I can actually see it, given that I've spent thousands and thousands of dollars on just these purchases that are wellness-focused. So I can see it. Yeah, it's interesting, and I would imagine they could probably make money by partnering with the wellness companies, both to promote like new companies to people who they know are like already buying from yeah it's just a very it's a good business for them if they can actually get a ton of people who are buying these wellness things to use the credit card yeah for sure yeah it's interesting it's really interesting and i imagine it's good for like sweet green if anyone who has this credit card is getting five like five x points they're gonna go to sweet green more often than they otherwise would have, probably. Shout out to Sweetgreen, which I went to 57 times in 2021. <laughs> <laughs> Over once a week with my favorite company in the whole 57. world. 57. I went 15, which is pretty good for me. That's pretty good. Uh, well, That's I pretty moved good. to, like, around the corner from one, which is really convenient. <laughs> it's, it's super nice. convenient. Yeah. It's very good. Thank God they don't sell breakfast, or else I would have gone 100 times in 2021. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if they ever will. I mean, yeah. I can see it. I can see it. Any carve-outs? 
Anything that you want to chat about first? All right, let's do carve outs because it is getting, this is getting a little long. My carve out, I've been reading more books lately, which is, mm. which is good. Always looking for a good um, book, right? Hey, one, one book that I thought was interesting was this book called Life 3.0, which is about artificial superintelligence. So basically, you know, the type of AI that you hear, like Elon Musk talking about of, of like an intelligence that is, you know, smarter than a human can learn, can think literally like humans can think about 10 times, 10 have 10 thoughts per second. An AI would be able to think based on, I think the book was saying like, cause of the speed of light or whatever, like literally a, a billion times per second. So once there's an AI that's smart, even as smart as a human, because of its rate of thought, it's just going to be insanely smart. So what I found the book to be, what, what I found to be most interesting about the book was the author went through very specific, like he wrote very like specific details and examples of what different versions of the future could look like based on what the AI ends up turning out to be. So I'll give two quick examples. So one example is there's an AI that let's call it a gatekeeper AI and it prevents any, like the, this, this AI gets created. And as humans, we decide that we don't want any other AI to be created. So this AI is just prevents any other AI to, from being created. So if the AI sees any humans potentially about to create it, it'll pre- prevent them from doing it, right? So the benefit to that is that we live in the world that's probably si- relatively similar to the world we live in now. The, the negatives to that is we never, our technology stagnates, right? We also potentially have nuclear war or some sort of other thing that could happen, which could ha- that's always a risk anyway, right? But like as humanity, like we potentially are limiting the, we're limiting like what we could be as humans or what co- what we could build or where we could be in the galaxy. We're probably preventing ourselves from colonizing the galaxy, thing, things like that into the future. One example. Another example is an AI that we create as humans. And let's say it's like a benevolent AI. It creates, you know, a one world government. It creates all the laws and everyone knows that it exists, right? And everyone's like pretty happy with it because they think it's pretty fair. But that's just another version of, of AI, but then, you know, maybe it keeps growing and it, whatever. So like, you know, the, the pros of that are that humans, you know, our technology is, keeps getting better and better, but the cons of that might be, you know, humans, maybe they lose meaning because everything is taken care of for you. Literally the AI is so mm. smart. It can literally like create whatever you want. It's like, ma- it's magic, right? Like it can build you a house. It can do everything. Like, and it's just like, has technology, the technology it would be able to create would be so far beyond anything that we're able to even comprehend, right? Other things like, can, are we going to create AI that is, has what we see as consciousness, right? Something that knows it exists, or do we create something that doesn't have consciousness? And maybe there's an argument for, we want it to have consciousness because if there's a future world where this AI has colonized the galaxy, maybe we want it to have consciousness because if it's doing all these amazing things and we created it, if no one knows it's happening, then does it even matter? Whereas if it doesn't have, like if it doesn't have consciousness, if it, so, so like thinking about these, these different 
trade-offs of like what are we going to create and what are the different outcomes and worlds we want to live in and it's a little bit scary to think about like what could this future of humanity be like but at the same time the whole premise of the book is these are questions that we need to be asking because we are going to be creating the AI, right? Like we're creating it. So we should be thinking about what do we want it to look like? What do we want the world to look like? It also talked about, there's this like code of, they, they created these principles of like safety in AI that all like every top AI engineer has like signed these principles, which I think is uh, nice to see that at least people are thinking about, you know, creating something that's like going to be hopefully good for humanity. So yeah, kind of a tangent there, but it was a super interesting book and very like interesting to think about these different features. It was cool. How would you rate that? Five stars? Yeah, five, five stars. Yeah. yeah. Cool. It was the best book on AI that I've ever read. I mean, I, haven't, I don't know if I've read any books on AI, but it was the best. It, I think AI had all it made it much more tangible and thinking about like what it could be or what it will be or how it could affect humanity than I think in before reading the book, it was AI was like a little abstract, I think. Did it make you, how do you now think about AI differently from how you did before? It sounds like not that much before, but with, I think there's definitely, it definitely is something that we should be extremely careful with. Mm -hmm not take lightly because it has the potential to like imagine imagine an ai that just has this goal and the book gives this example this goal it's ai's goal is to make as many paper clips as possible that's its goal in life and it does that destroys earth because it has to use all the resources to make as many paper clips as possible right and and it might not care about humanity right like how do we what it's going to be so much more intelligent think about our intelligence compared to an elephant it's going to be that level of intelligence smarter than than humans and it's not it could or could be right it also could never it might never happen right it there's that's also possible maybe it'll never be invented it's just science fiction but i think in general my viewpoint i i share the author's optimism at the end of the book that i think it's pretty cool that as humans, we're likely to create something that has consciousness that is going to live beyond, far beyond humans. And I think that part is pretty interesting. Mm. How do you feel about something like a more tangible example of AI, like Tesla full self-driving? You think that's a good thing for <laughs> Tesla to launch? Which is, right, yeah, not a super intelligent self-learning AI, but like a AI that, that has a distinguishing factor. Right. In terms of, of like a self-driving AI, so like these are the steps getting there, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. I think that's great. I think that's great for humanity. So that's a super intelligent that maybe we should be a little bit... The super intelligent AI is like an AI that thinks for itself. Yeah. That literally... That, How close are we to that? The what book, does the book not say? Well, it says we're, we're, we're almost definitely more than 10 years away, but it could happen in 100 years and it could never happen. So, yeah. Hmm. That's crazy that probably in our lifetimes we're likely to see it. It's very possible. It's possible. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, Any other books that you read in the past year that you, or recently that you thought were particularly good? So recently I also read Digital Minimalism uh, by Cal Newport. Have you, have, you, have you heard of him before? Only through Tim Ferriss, but that's it. Got it. Yeah. So, so he also wrote Deep Work, which is, I think, I read that a while ago, but it's, just about 
doing deep work, basically focusing on, on the work and not being distracted. And this was kind of taking that into your personal life and thinking about, mm. we don't even, like, a lot of times I think people don't realize, including myself, like, how addicted you are to a lot of different technologies. Like, for myself, I'll, like, the first thing I do when I wake up is generally look at Twitter, maybe I'll go to YouTube, watch a video while I'm getting ready. Mm. And it's like, you're doing that because these technology companies are incentivized to addict us and have us spend as much time as possible Mm -hmm. on these technologies. And we're doing it whether or not we're really getting value out of it. Mm -hmm. And the, to me, it's like the idea of the book is he recommends doing like a 30 day kind of extreme going 30 days and really removing as much as possible. And then afterwards figuring out what did you, what do you actually need? And then kind of like whole 30 technology. That's exact, exact, literally exactly what it is, actually. And so I don't know that I would actually want to go that far, but even even just figuring, I think for, and for me, another area is podcasts. Like, I think I find mm. myself constantly listening to podcasts and that's an area, and I think there's a lot of value to that, but also figuring out, okay, where, what's the value I can get by not doing that and having time to think and having time to just go on walks and not, be looking at my phone and being distracted and and so so yeah so I, I that I found I was a it was a really quick read and I find it I think it's really important for people to like take a step back and think okay where what part of technology is actually helping me and what part isn't and and removing like the the idea this it's the same idea of minimalism for just general minimalism which is I think the definition he uses is like what are like using things that you act that actually like provide value to yourself and only those things i have two follow-up questions one is what actions have you taken as a result of reading this to improve your relationship with technology and i'll ask the second question so i i still need to take i want to take real steps i'd like to really think about it after reading the book the next day i went on a walk without my phone Hmm. i literally without my phone and i know you you go to walk to the gym every, every day without without your phone? I stopped doing that now that I actually need to listen to podcasts while I work out. <laughs> you addict. But <laughs> I used to be really good about that. I, it was my time of the day where I would walk to the gym, not bring my phone with me, go back, and I loved it. It was great. Yeah, and I, I, went, I went on a run slash walk without my phone, and... It was it was real it was pretty nice yeah actually and and it's kind of funny you walk around and you're like man everyone else is just so plugged in they're yeah. all they're all plugged we're all plugged into the matrix and when you don't have it it's kind of nice it's like yeah. I'm not plugged in right now and this is great and there's actually a phone that he mentions in the book called the light phone yeah have you heard of this yeah where it connects to your phone but you can t- so I think it's nice even for safety and just in general like have something if, if you ever need to make yeah. a call like to have something it is funny that we're like we're all like oh it's not safe to not have your phone when like people lived a long time without having internet connection at all times yeah. like our parents like our parents would just literally literally like go out in the beginning of the day and come home and they were fine they were expecting that was it <laughs> now it's like you can't go on a 15 minute walk without your phone because it's dangerous like, <laughs> i think probably even if he knew that you had gone on a walk, one walk without your phone as a result of reading this book. I think that that is accomplishing his goal at some level. And I, I've been wondering about this for myself too, because I feel like, especially recently, I've realized I'm really addicted to Twitter, like you were saying. 
It's the first thing I check in the morning. I find it, it it's like a crutch. Like every time I'm just wasting two minutes, it's like always to go on Twitter and see what happened. And even more recently, I feel like I've been, there are certain parts of Twitter that just bother me when I go on. Like Web3 Twitter has been particularly bothering me recently. And so I, I want to have a healthier relationship with Twitter. I want to use it less. I also want to follow people that I love and not follow the people that bother me. So I'm trying to get better about that as well. Yeah, totally. And you could create Twitter lists potentially if you wanted to like only yeah. spe- follow specific people or see specific people. He he gives the example of removing the apps from your phone, like remove the Facebook. I already re- I don't know if you have the Facebook app on your phone, but I I took I that off it. a while ago. Yeah. And I it, I I find it really helpful at, to not have it on my like not have these things on my phone. But it's funny. It's like I probably should do that with Twitter, but I don't really want to. <laughs> So, so that's something he talks about of like deleting them off your phone, only looking at it on your desktop. That's a good idea. And in a lot of cases, yeah, maybe like not looking at your phone in, in the first hour of the morning or what. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that it's worth experimenting with these things and seeing like where, where, where is it providing value or do you not need it? Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Because it's, everyone's addicted. Everyone is addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Literally. Yeah. You're right. I, I think when the company's incentives are, we want you to be as engaged as possible in what we're building, they take it to an extreme and then ultimately they get really good at it. And it's really hard to break away from that. Even Facebook has come out recently and said, no, like we don't care as much about engagement. Like, no, you do. Like your whole business model is ads. You care yeah. a lot about engagement. And, and like the point he gets out of it too is you don't... So what's the... Facebook, and this is what face, Facebook says, you are... We are providing a great service to people because you're con- we're connecting people. They're ha- building these relationships, yeah. which is true. And that is the value that you do get out of social media is being able to connect with people. Yeah. But you only need to be on social media for probably 15 minutes a day max to get, those, to get the value that you want out of yeah. those services. Beyond that, you're not getting the value anymore. Yeah. I see one more question. Do you, have you noticed people taking social media detoxes? Like for example, Sammy and her roommate, Nicole are both taking January off of Instagram. I, I've heard of it. Seeing now than I've ever noticed. It's interesting. I I haven't like, I don't know anyone that has, has done that. So it's interesting to hear that. Makes sense. Yeah. He, he talks a little bit about in the book, actually not thinking of it as a detox because the detox is one is like, removing everything from your life and then going back to it afterwards. Mm. Whereas his idea is removing it from your life, but then thinking thoughtfully about, Oh, did I actually need to be on Instagram every day? And, and, but maybe the result is the same if you detox for 30 days and then you realize you, you don't need it. But yeah, for sure. Any other car belts? No, that's it for now. Cool. I'll, uh, I I also wrote down my best books of 2020. One is Green Lights, specifically the audio book that's narrated by Matthew McConaughey. I was recommended it and very skeptical of it. And it is incredible. He he does an amazing job narrating it. Really incredibly interesting stories. I also just love memoirs. So I'm really fascinated by people's stories. So it's really interesting to read. Red Notice is a book that you had recommended to me a few years ago. And I finally read this here, and it was incredible. It, it's oh, yeah. just like a total page turner. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you liked Bad Blood, Bitcoin Billionaires, uh, Billion Dollar Whale, any of those uh, business thriller books, it's really good. Yeah. Last one I'll recommend that I read this here is Breath, which uh, was all of it. Basically, like the one line summary of it is breathe out of your nose. And if you want to read it, it's actually a very interesting book. Much more interesting than you'd probably think for a book that's all about breathing. But I thought it was fascinating. It was all about the science of breathing and 
why it's important to breathe mm. out of your nose and all the benefits. And so it's really fascinating. Mm. Uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Also share three podcasts that stuck out to me that just as I was going through, there were probably a million others. I was just like scrolling through my feed and these were the most three most recent ones I listened to that really stuck with me. One was Acquired, which you introduced me to years ago. And it is, I think, both one of our favorite podcasts. If only I could have invested on that one. When we, we were we, both pretty early. We were episode, like, 30 before we got into it. We were, we were one you of the early tell listeners. when something's good, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. But all three of the Berkshire Hathaway episodes were just A+. Plus. Just absolute A+. Plus. It's 10 hours of content about Berkshire Hathaway, and you do not want to put it down. It is so good. Tim Ferriss with Jerry Colonna that he came out with recently, I really enjoyed. It was basically all about sabbaticals and taking breaks. And one part of it that really stood out to me as someone who really struggles with meditation is thinking of meditation as like a moment of clarity that you want to, that you can then return to later in the day. It's like priming your brain to say, hey, like this is what it's supposed to feel like when my brain is clear. Mm. And then later in the day when you're feeling a little cluttered, you can be like, oh, hey, I know what it's supposed to feel like when I'm cleared. And I never thought of meditation that way. And it was a really beautiful way, in my opinion, of thinking about it. So mm. I have not started meditating yet, but I would like to have some type of practice to allow myself to return that feeling of clarity throughout the day. We also talked about it pretty extensively, but the Tim Ferriss and Ramit Setiap, A+. Plus, just so good. If anyone's curious, I can share my rich life list, but it, it was such a good exercise and I made Sammy do it with me and we chatted about it uh, together. And I even everyone I talked to, I'd share this episode with. It's, it's just that good. So what, what is one thing on your rich life that you want to share? Wait, well, let me pull it up. I love this. A few of my favorites are wherever I am in the world as a stand-up paddleboard, I'm going to ride it. Whenever I read a book that I love, I'm going to buy a copy of it for whoever I think would enjoy it, which I've tried to do a couple times with you this year and definitely other people as well. Get the latest Apple product every year. I'm such an Apple nerd. I read 9 to 5 at Mac every day. I've probably read it since I was 17, like literally every day. Love Apple products and would love to have the latest as we're sitting here with our brand new 16 inch macbook pro yeah those are the a few of the main ones but again it, it's like these things don't really cost such a, an incredibly large amount of money that it required a lifestyle change it's more like a oh I, I probably could afford it if i just keep my current lifestyle and have a slight mentality shift maybe with the apple products notwithstanding that one's a little more expensive but like riding a stand-up paddleboard it's great yeah i love that i love that i'll, I'll sh- oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say you can go ahead then i'll share i'll share one of mine Sure. One last carve out is um, I've been I'm in the market for software developer roles at wellness technology companies and had been looking for a while, like search AngelList to try and find a list of companies, Crunchbase, TechCrunch to try and see who had raised recently and never really saw a comprehensive list of companies. And there was a, a VC fund that invests exclusively in wellness technology companies that came out with a Figma board of every company that they're following. And it's incredible, and I can link to it after the fact, but it's a really good resource if you're trying to get a job or even are interested in just checking out companies in the wellness space that uh, I highly recommend checking out. So it's a Figma? A Figma Yeah, it's board. like a Fig Jam board where they just have a list of every single company they're following, and they break it down by category. So it's like fitness, preventative care, like every single category you can think of. It's, it's really good. So they have like digital health infrastructure, online, offline care, women's digital health. Oh, wow. Regardless of what you're interested in, they have every company here. And it's a, a ton of companies listed. Supplements, fitness and wellness infrastructure. So it would, it's a really good list. It would be cool if you, this would link into your Twitter goals as well. Like, if You're, they're, you're if, reading my mind now. If you, took, if you took that and made it into like an air table, but yeah. also included other information, and then you could, you could even be like, you create like a, the, 
the rocket ship job. I think there was someone made this like rocket ship job board in the past where it was like a job board of all these startups that are rocket ships, but you yeah. should be, you're solving your own problem, right? So totally, then, yeah. it's there you go. Literally exactly what I was thinking. I have listened on my, on my notes for the day that I want to create a job board of jobs in the wellness space. So totally to your point, I think it's a great idea. Yeah, and I feel like you could start off by literally just making it a an air table that is like not a job board. It could just be a list, right? And like yeah. maybe with some additional information that makes it easier to, manip- to manipulate than a Figma board. Yeah. And... People could just enter their email to be updated when there's a new company that's added. And then in the future, once oh, you have the audience, because you first you need to figure out how to get the audience. And then once you have the audience, then you go to those companies and be like, hey, you're on this, you're on this list. People are looking. Do you want to like let us know? Like, do you want to let them know when when you're hiring? Yeah. I love that idea. All right, I'm going to build that out tomorrow. I love that. That's such a good idea. All right. Awesome. Sweet. We'll check in next week and see how, how it goes. Hell yes, brother. I love it. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Any final thoughts? No, just a quick, well, I guess, yes. Just a quick debrief on the... Oh, wait, didn't you have one more idea? You said you were going to share one more. Oh, no. I, I was just going to say one of my rich life ideas oh, yeah. was... so. Do, doing more, I really like going to, like, it's really fun to go to, like, a Michelin star restaurant or, like, a really nice restaurant, but I almost never do it, and, like, we, so, the beginning of the year, or no, not, end of last year, we went to a really cool sushi restaurant in D.C., and that was awesome, and there were two things that were awesome about it. One was going, and two was looking forward to it and having it in the calendar and, and doing it, so I think... Neither of those was spending time with me. Okay. <laughs> obviously, obviously. <laughs> Implied. Spending time with you was the best part of it, honestly. But beyond that, thinking more more broadly in terms of obviously part of my rich life is spending more time with you, Matt. But yeah, like at least a few times a year, like going to these really really cool restaurants and looking forward to it and putting on the calendar, I think would be really cool. So yeah. What's the restaurant you're most looking forward to going to in twenty twenty two? I don't have as of, Ooh, as, of, explore. as of now, it's our it's our next sushi omakase next at the in December. But I need Absolutely. to book in some more. Yeah, I love it. That's awesome. <laughs> I like that one a lot because as someone who also loves food, love having like really nice meals to look forward to. Very yeah, good one. I like that a lot. Yeah, cool. But other yeah, otherwise, I was just gonna say as a debrief, what did you think of the first podcast back? Considering we're at hour two, we're two hours in. Maybe we could go a little shorter next time. I think it's a little long. If you're still listening now, good, <laughs> you, good for you. We were really impressed with the dedication if you are still listening to this. I, I want more ideas. I think that we spent a lot of time on the personal stuff, which I think is interesting to me, but I'm curious if listeners will actually find it interesting. And I, th- I think that we... One thing that I think we were doing really well by the end that I think we reverted back to today is we, for the first couple episodes we did, I think we're like almost talking as if we were on a podcast. I think when we got into a really good groove, we were talking as if we were just in the room together. Yeah. And so I think that we probably weren't as like funny or silly or acting as if we normally would. So I think we can return back to that. And I think with experience, we will get there. But I would give this like a solid C plus. I don't know what you would say. <laughs> yeah. But it was it was getting out the, the jitters. This is just episode one as we return for season two. With our partners Perkins Cooey, <laughs> yeah. So I, I think that by by hour by by hour by hour one minute twenty twenty at at one twenty it really hits the stride. So you've got to get through the first hour twenty minutes. No, I I agree. I think, I think also part of what helped us hit our stride were the ideas, and that yeah. is just like 
I think, better. We're good at riffing. If anything, I think it would have been better to start with the ideas. I also think part of it was was just we hadn't done a podcast in a while, so the beginning was just getting more comfortable with it. And I'm with you. I think the more, as we went on, it was more like just talking to each other, which is good that it only took us an hour to get to that, whereas three or four episodes in the past. So I think that that's also good, but... For sure. I thought there were actually some really good gems in here. There's some gems in the two hours, if you're willing to listen through <laughs> we're it. We're willing to dedicate the two hours. Maybe at one and a half times speed. This is only an hour and 20 minutes, and it'll make it a little easier for you. Yeah, so I think that was that was good. I really enjoyed it, personally. I thought this was great, so... Yeah, it was I'd the last catch I'm excited to keep this going. Cool, cool man. Excited for next week? Yeah, me too. All right. Signing off.